Good morning. Bethelites know that uh, Pastor Chris is uh, still on vacation, although he's, uh, I think, back uh, maybe tomorrow. And uh, Pastor Tyler has begun his vacation. So, yes. Yeah. So pray uh, for a refreshing, renewing time for uh, Pastor and Whitney. Uh, so uh, the pastors are gone, so you have a, a fill-in this morning. Uh, I compelled to begin by offering an apology to my age mates. That's an African term. Uh, age mates, you know it, who you are. But I have to apologize because, uh, as you can see, I'm not very African today. I don't have my, my tie on. So uh, I pondered uh, that this week and uh, considered uh, whether or not I could uh, dress or look as cool as uh, either one of our pastors. Well, I, I knew that wasn't going to happen, so we'll just have to uh, bear with uh, what the Lord has provided uh, today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, I won't tell you who, but uh, someone said, uh, well, everyone's going to be gone, so uh, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> I, again, I, I considered... Uh, I wonder if they mean uh, I can uh, hold an African kind of service. Well, not too many Africans here, so <laughs> I discarded that one. So we'll uh, try to proceed as uh, close to our traditions as possible. But uh, here's a few things that I do want to do uh, this morning in our time uh, together before the Lord and in His Word. I want to teach from the Old Testament, as, uh, as I love to do in Africa. I uh, also want to uh, extend uh, a little bit a, a gospel project uh, theme. So uh, Miriam and I substitute in the fours and fives once a month. And, uh, you know, gospel project, uh, if you're a parent, uh, you know the material's uh, excellent. If you're in uh, uh, Greg's uh, class, you're going through that at a different level. So uh, I'm going to uh, extend a little bit the, the teaching. It was last month from uh, Judges 4 and 5. And uh, another thing I want to do in all this is to uh, kind of maintain our uh, talk about uh, gospel culture. So uh, my thought will be uh, more Old Testament oriented, but I, I trust that the Spirit of God will make the connections as well with uh, the New Testament gospel culture orientation that we've had. Uh, now, for all of you, uh, my desire, well, for me too, uh, is, is this, that uh, first of all, that you'll be, uh, let me say, enthralled, you know, uh, excited about this story, Judges uh, 4 and 5. Now, if you're not Perhaps I'll uh, allow uh, Janet uh, Strobert to consult with you. <laughs> she looks surprised, but uh, we, we read uh, Judges 4 last week in Vito's class, and uh, after we read it, her uh, just spontaneous response was, hey, this is really a great story. So you have the authority of, of Janet that uh, this is a great uh, narrative. Uh, I have four and five listed. We'll focus on uh, chapter four. 
So I, I hope uh, Scripture, I trust that the Scripture will uh, invigorate us, the, this, the story will captivate us and uh, set us off on uh, fruitful meditation. And then uh, uh, along with that, I hope that uh, in reading it, and I, I think uh, our, our singing, our praise, uh, Russ, Russ's uh, exhortations, uh, along with that, uh, I hope in reading it, our confidence will be uh, renewed or strengthened that uh, God is working. He works with his people. He's always involved. Even in the awful times, like the time of the judges, God is working. He's always working with his people. So that means he's here today, and he's with Bethel. And uh, we'll be uh, reminded of that uh, even uh, today in specific ways. And then uh, in uh, becoming uh, invigorated with a thought of uh, God's presence with us and how he works with us. Uh, my desire for us all is that uh, praise may uh, flow from us, if not spontaneously, at least in an intentional way, as we think about what uh, the Word of God, what the Scriptures uh, tell us. Does that sound good? So I'm going to begin by, by reading uh, chapter 4. Uh, it's a long text, obviously. I'm going to make a, a few uh, editorial comments along the way so uh, I can be a little bit shorter in some of uh, my outline points. Uh, but as, as we begin, uh, let's just uh, pause a moment for prayer again. Father, we, uh, we love you uh, because uh, you first loved us in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that uh, we love you because uh, you speak to us uh, through your word and through your spirit. So, uh, Father, as we uh, devote ourselves to you and to your word, uh, cause uh, our communication and uh, the Spirit's uh, presence to uh, be uh, transformative in our lives uh, for the glory of your name and uh, for the uh, joyful blessing in uh, each of our lives. Hear us, Lord, because we're dependent upon you, and uh, we ask it all in the name of our great high priest, who uh, always lives to make intercession for us, even the Lord Jesus. Amen. So uh, let, let me begin uh, with uh, Judges chapter 4. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And uh, again, I'm making some editorial comments. Evil, what's the greatest evil? Uh, the greatest evil is uh, losing uh, fellowship with the Lord. So uh, not simply uh, some small sin, but uh, what Israel did in the time of Judges, just to refresh your memories, is uh, find new gods. That's uh, even uh, mentioned in uh, uh, chapter 5. And uh, I'll, I'll look at that later, not to slow us down. So uh, then the Lord was working, chapter two, or verse 2. And the Lord sold them, that is Israel, into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. 
who reigned in Hatzor. Now, Hatzor was in the north of the Promised Land. It was uh, the gateway to, uh, to the Promised Land. If you controlled Hatzor, then uh, you had great uh, economic and political power because it was along the major trade routes of the day. So uh, Jabin, or in the Hebrew, Yabin, had a great power. And uh, the scripture tells us something about his commander. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harashef Hagoyim. Uh, now, we don't know where that place was, uh, but uh, by the implications of the name, you know, uh, we have a resident uh, linguist in our midst, our linguist-to-be. Uh, great, yeah, you, Grace. Uh, if she would be uh, a student of ancient Near Eastern languages, uh, the name probably indicates something like, uh, here's, here's prime real estate. He's really in a good place. Uh, not right next to Hatsor, but uh, in the midst of uh, the promised land where Israel is supposed to be. And uh, this guy... Uh, again, his name, uh, studying ancient languages, is not a Canaanite name. So uh, probably uh, Jabin uh, hired him from, uh, from the north someplace. Uh, if you know the Hittite culture, a Hittite name, uh, some scholars think that his name is uh, connected with that uh, ancient civilization. Uh, so this guy was, was in here in the land, Sisera, uh, to be... Uh, to make it profitable, to make a lot of money, no doubt, and uh, to experience a power. So in the light of uh, this situation, uh, verse 3, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, as they do repeatedly, eventually, uh, when times got tough in the book of Judges. For uh, Sisera had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly, for 20 years, 900 chariots of iron. So uh, to uh, enable us to visualize maybe a modern context, we're talking about uh, tanks here, tanks in the ancient world. So uh, they were iron, probably not all iron, but ironclad. Uh, Israel didn't have any of those. So here's a, a mobilized, mechanized, powerful army, 900 of them. And uh, he oppressed the people of Israel uh, cruelly, or oppressing them for, for 20 years. Now that word oppressed that I'm emphasizing is a word that's repeated throughout the book of Judges, but it also kind of points us back, it's not a common word, but it points us back to the book of Exodus. Because at one point in chapter 3, uh, verse 9, I think it is, it describes... Israel's life under Egypt. So, uh, again, a, a worst-case scenario. So, uh, times are tough. This is terrible. And uh, finally, Israel is crying out to the Lord. Then verse 4. Uh, by the way, Deborah, Deborah or Deborah, a prophetess, a female prophetess, the text emphasizes, the wife of Lapidot, was judging Israel at that time. Blessed be the Lord. He uh, is merciful to his people, even when his people are not seeking him. He's given a prophet, here a prophetess. 
She used to sit under the tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came to her for judgment. So Ephraim was uh, a little bit more south of uh, Hatzor in the north, uh, but uh, central area of the promised land. But uh, she was the tribe of Ephraim. And thinking about the book of Judges, um, I can't resist to uh, challenge your Bible knowledge, but uh, what leading uh, historical figure in Israel was also from Ephraim? So uh, I don't hear an answer, but uh, it is Joshua. Joshua is also an Ephraimite. So uh, no doubt uh, Deborah, whatever she was doing under the, uh, the tree of Deborah, uh, she was encouraging people to, uh, to come back to the Lord, uh, to uh, obey his word, and uh, probably giving some counsel. She was doing, uh, or at least it's recorded here, doing what no other judge did. And uh, trying to visualize that, uh, maybe, uh, maybe uh, Deborah would be someone like, uh, I'm looking at uh, Barb Armstrong here in front, uh, a counselor of the Word of God, trying to, to keep people following the Lord in a times when uh, no one seemed to be doing it, when every man did what was right in their own eyes. Well, the Lord had uh, Deborah there to uh, bring deliverance for his people. In verse 6, she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? So uh, I'm, I'm emphasizing that as the tone, the tone as I would read it. It's like, uh, what are you waiting for, Barak? Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, this is the Lord speaking, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river of Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. So we'll look at that uh, in a little bit. But uh, Deborah is uh, reminding Barak of his uh, calling. Seemed to be uh, some uh, delay in carrying that out. In verse 8, Barak's response, If you, that is Deborah, go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Hmm. I wonder what he meant by that. We'll speak of that in a minute. Then uh, verse 9, Deborah responds, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road in which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So our interest should be piqued. Uh, what, what women? What, what's, she, what's she talking about? Uh, but notice uh, the Lord is, is there. Back in uh, verse 2, the Lord sold Israel into the hand of Jabin. Uh, now he's going to sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. This is our God. Uh, he is working. He is involved. He can do anything at any time, even when it seems like nothing is happening. Uh, does that seem to be uh, our world today? 
uh, the events of uh, the affairs of nations. Is the Lord there? Is he involved? Well, let's look to uh, judges in this case to inform our perspectives on that. So uh, Deborah, back in verse 9, arose and went to Barak, went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now, uh, some other information, verse uh, 11, to help us with the rest of the story. Now, Haber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites. Well, who were the Kenites? The descendants of Hobab, or another name, Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent far away as an oak in Zananamin, uh, which is near Kadesh. So uh, originally, Judges tells us, chapter 1, verse 16, the uh, descendants of uh, Jethro settled in uh, Arad. Uh, Arad is way in the south. For some reason, uh, Heber uh, moved a uh, much northerly direction, kind of probably living in more isolated setting. Why did that? Well, we don't know. Uh, but again, uh, we'll see that the Lord is involved even in this. And uh, incidentally, I didn't mention it, but uh, remember that Tab uh, Barak is gathered on Mount Tabar. Uh, if you were in the, I visited uh, Promised Land once, or Israel once. Mount Tabor is there, it's identified, it's visible, kind of a round, uh, grass-covered mountain, but overlooking a plain. So uh, Barak got his men, his troops, on top of that mountain, and uh, no doubt uh, the tanks, the chariots, Sisera's army were down in the plain, ready for battle, ready to take them on. But uh, again, those uh, things can even be visual visualized today. Verse 12, when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabar, Sisera called out his chariots, 900 chariots of iron. See, uh, our, our narrator is wanting us to focus on those chariots. And again, it might even remind us of uh, another uh, army of chariots that were defeated by God's intervention. That was when? Yes, the Exodus. And all the men who were with him, that is uh, Sisera, from Harasheth, Hagoyim, to the river Kishan. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, arise, for this is the day which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? It's the encouragement that he needs again. So Barak went down from Mount Tabar with 10,000 men following him. The Lord, this may be the climax of the whole story, the Lord routed Sisera. Well, what did uh, Barak do? The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak at the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Why he would have done that, I don't know. He was in a tank. But uh, maybe there were problems. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth, Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Uh, the Lord uh, was decisive 
and uh, what was needed to be done here. But Sisera fled away on foot. Again, why did he leave his chariot? That seems mysterious. To the tent of Jael, or Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. So there's the name, the Kenites again. She's up in the area, uh, providentially. For there is peace between Jabin, the king of Hatzor, and the house of Heber, the Kenanite. So uh, whatever uh, Heber was doing, he was kind of living between two uh, nations, trying to keep peace, or living in peace with both of them. I don't know if he was a diplomat or a politician, uh, but he was in the midst of both peoples. And uh, verse 18, Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. Kind of a, a bold, rather bold, maybe even a, a, a risque approach. Uh, inviting uh, Jael, that is, a married woman, into a man into his, her, her tent. So, uh, verse 18, he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. She did better than that. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. Kind of ironic as the story unfolds. Ironic uh, uh, command or, or uh, directive there by uh, Sisera. Verse 21, and uh, here uh, Jael's, she was a woman of action, uh, comes into action, and it's almost like the next verses uh, unfold in slow motion. Everything that she does is described. And uh, the impact is that the Lord, the Lord really wants to get rid of this guy. It's his time. And uh, it's almost like uh, we need to soak it in, what's happening. So verse 21, Jael, the right wife of Heber, took a tent peg, one hand, probably the other hand, took a hammer in her hand. She went uh, softly to him. You know, he ran to her tent from battle. He was exhausted, maybe even a little bit uh, overwhelmed. Who knows what else? And she drove the peg into his temple till it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And the obvious, so he died. Verse 22, And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you're seeking. I wonder how Barak got there. But uh, he found the place, so he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead and the tent peg in his temple. Then the uh, last two verses, uh, the epilogue. So on that day, the Lord subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. So that word there, subdued, in the ESV, uh, in the Hebrew language, sounds like Kana, Kana. So the Lord Kana, Jabin, the king of Kanaan. See what's happening? It's like uh, the Lord 
out Canaan, the king of Canaan. And uh, not that the Lord uh, was morally like uh, the king of Canaan. They were wicked people. They were pagans, idol worshipers. Uh, the land uh, was vomiting them out. Uh, but the Lord, in uh, doing his will, not uh, acquitting the guilty, uh, was making a, a final decisive statement on uh, this king's life and his uh, ruling. In verse 24, the king, or the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So uh, that's our text. Uh, let me uh, flesh out uh, some of the uh, thoughts uh, that are in uh, chapters 4 and 5 that I'd like us to, to focus upon. And the first thing, uh, you have your outline there. The first thing is that uh, God is, is jealous, or uh, I'm calling it Old Testament gospel culture. So uh, another way to put it, in the absence of uh, Old Testament gospel culture, uh, the uh, jealousy of God uh, is uh, incited. Uh, I could also speak of it because uh, the book of uh, Judges says it as well. In the absence of Old Testament gospel culture, God is angered. Uh, that situation angers God. Now, in speaking of the anger of God, uh, I don't want us to uh, uh, misconstrue important theological notions. Uh, we know that uh, for us today, uh, even as we sung about it in our praise time, uh, in uh, God's uh, plan of redemption for his people today in Christ, uh, his anger has been turned aside. Uh, it has been appeased. Theological word, it has been propitiated. So uh, we bear it uh, no more. We don't have to, to fear uh, his anger. But uh, yet, uh, even in the Old Testament, it's not that God was angry there and not angry in the New Testament. Uh, we can look at the book of Revelation for the, the wrath of God. But also, uh, conversely, in the Old Testament, remember the name of God. The name of God appearing, uh, these uh, accumulation of attributes appearing nine times. You can look it up in Scripture. God is gracious and compassionate, abounding in a faithful covenant love. And the one, uh, he doesn't acquit the guilty. The one that's uh, also in there, I haven't said yet, he's slow to anger. Isn't that wonderful? Our God is slow to anger even though uh, we need it, we deserve it. Uh, the world deserves it, but God is yet slow to anger, and even more so, he's born uh, that anger in the person of his son so that we are free uh, from his anger, from bearing it. But yet God is a jealous God. And uh, Exodus says, my name is Jealous. And uh, God's uh, jealousy is particularly aroused uh, when uh, we follow other gods, when our allegiance to him is not wholehearted, 
not undivided. And that was the situation in the book of, uh, of Judges. Uh, we can read, uh, let me read a, a couple passages. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, thinking about, again about the anger, jealousy of God. And when the Lord, your God, brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to you with great and good cities, that which you did not build, and houses full of good things, that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, when you eat and you're a fool, God's a giving God, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord you shall fear. You shall serve him, you shall serve, and by his name you shall, you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. We could go to other passages uh, like this. But uh, God is a jealous God. He's jealous for his name and he's jealous for his relationship with his people. Uh, he wants us to follow no other idols. And he's put into place his, his covenant. Uh, let me call it, uh, broadly speaking, his Old Testament uh, gospel culture covenant so that we can maintain that uh, fellowship with him and to receive the kinds of blessings that uh, Deuteronomy 6 uh, speaks of. So... Uh, in chapter 4 of uh, Judges and 5, uh, the people were sold into the hand of Jabin because they had broken covenant, because uh, the jealousy of God was aroused against them. And the Lord wanted to bring them back. Uh, he doesn't tolerate uh, the idea of jealousy, you know, that even from the human level, he doesn't tolerate uh, rivals. And... Uh, Again, uh, just to, to emphasize the connection between uh, God's uh, jealousy and uh, the uh, gospel culture that he desires, and uh, again, have some reflection of uh, what God is doing in uh, the book of Judges with people like the Canaanites. In uh, Leviticus 18, uh, you can read... Uh, a little bit more in this section to understand the kinds of things that were happening in that day. Uh, maybe even some of them uh, might seem quite contemporary. But 18.2, uh, Moses, speaking the words of the Lord, says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived. And you'll, you shall not do as they did in the land of Canaan. That was the problem in Judges. They were doing that. To which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall not follow my rules. Or excuse me. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. That's his word. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Uh, the jealousy of God 
uh, ensures that that is so. In verse 24, do not make for yourselves, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. Again, you have to read 18, 19, and 20. For by these things the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, not suitable to be in the presence of God. Uh, God couldn't, couldn't fellowship with them. And the land has become unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Quite uh, descriptive, uh, but maybe it helped us to uh, uh, emotionally engage with the Lord when he says that he's a jealous God, that he's jealous for his name, and he's uh, jealous for the, uh, the worship, for the allegiance, for the obedience of his people. So uh, more, much more we could say, but uh, a little uh, thought, a final thought about the implication here between God's jealousy or anger in relation to gospel culture. Uh, I hope it's uh, obvious. Uh, let us not, even though we don't have to fear God's anger, uh, but yet God is a jealous God, uh, let us not uh, trifle with uh, obedience. Trifle with his name, uh, that he is jealous. Uh, remember the final word in the uh, Johannine epistle. Flee idols. And uh, Pastor Chris uh, reminds us of that uh, most every week. Uh, we may not worship the idols that Israel did in chapter 4 of Judges, uh, but we, we are pretty clever and uh, knowing how to uh, devise our own idols that divert our obedience from the Lord and keep us from living out the gospel culture uh, that he desires. God is jealous, but God is also righteous. And uh, his uh, righteous deliverances, you know, God is actively involved in uh, creating the uh, setting for uh, gospel culture. In the Old Testament, well, we just read about it in uh, 4 and 5. He delivered his uh, people in, a oppressive, in the midst of an oppressive and distressing situation. God is involved in the lives and the ways of the people. He uh, simply, simply uh, I could go to numerous New Testament passages, but I'll let you do that on your own. He, saves, he simply saves us for the sake of uh, living out uh, gospel culture. Again, I'm thinking of it very broadly. Uh, a life, lifestyle, living, uh, that's guided by an Old Testament terminology, just read his rules, his statutes, his ordinances. Uh, what the Word of God uh, gives us. And uh, now it is much rule, uh, richer and fuller uh, because uh, the completion of His righteous works has been uh, accomplished in Christ at the cross. So we are much uh, better off even than uh, the Old uh, Testament uh, saints. And uh, I'd like to... Uh, Boy, expend a little bit more time on that passage, but uh, let's move on, and maybe uh, in your home groups you can think about it a little bit more. But uh, a final word, again, uh, thinking about uh, God's uh, righteous acts, which uh, bring uh, gospel culture. 
Specifically, I'm looking at verse 11 in chapter 5. Uh, it's a little bit difficult to jump right into this uh, song of praise, but I'm just going to point out uh, one word to the sound of musicians at the watering places. They're rehearsing praise here. Let them repeat the righteous triumphs from the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in uh, Israel. So uh, righteous triumphs could be uh, saving acts, his righteousness. Uh, if I uh, study that word, and particularly from uh, the Old Testament uh, language, Hebrew, they're uh, related, they're synonymous. So uh, the object of praise is uh, God's righteousness. You know, in terms of uh, even this, some of the gruesome scenes of the book of Judges, chapter 4, it means that uh, God's righteous ways even his acts of deliverance, uh, there's, no, there's no collateral damage. War and terror, you know, uh, what happens sometimes with drones, quote, innocent people are killed. Well, when God does it, that doesn't happen. There's no, no one is unnecessary. The innocents aren't abused. Uh, there's nothing that is excessive. Uh, God's battles when he intervenes as a warrior, are utterly righteous, just, perfectly so. And uh, let us uh, not think otherwise. But when he's involved, uh, again, we can uh, celebrate that uh, justice is done. And uh, the purpose, bringing the deliverance to his people, is accomplished in a way that uh, honors uh, his name. That's uh, part of the praise in uh, chapter 5. The uh, psalm ends, or the song of praise ends in verse 31. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. Uh, friends, literally those who love the lovers of God. May they be like the sun as he rises in his might. See, there's nothing, uh, it's not possible to be in between, uh, according to the song of praise here. Either I'm an enemy, like uh, Jabin, Sisera, and the Canaanites, idol worshipers, or I'm one who loves God. So uh, again, uh, let us not uh, trifle with obedience, with the jealousy of God. And uh, understanding that, you know, brings us immediately into the fullness of his blessings. So uh, Judges was that uh, terrible time. But again, is it any different than today when every man did what was right in his own eyes? Is that any different? Uh, that's repeated two, three times in the book of uh, Judges. I think it's three times. But 17.6 in the last verse of the book of Judges kind of uh, summarizing the situation that it was and why God needed to intervene with his uh, righteous ways. Uh, that's what God was doing here, being present. Even when his people didn't want it at every point, uh, God was ready to be there, ready to hear their cries of uh, repentance and to intervene in a, in a righteous way. 
And uh, the book of Judges as well looks for the time because the book of Judges was a time when there was no king in Israel. The book of Judges prepares us for uh, a king that we all desire and really every people group desires, every nation desires. A king or a ruler, uh, whatever title we want to attribute, that is, uh, it is righteous, it is justice, someone that we can trust in, that uh, when he or she speaks, we can be confident that uh, they're really speaking from their heart and uh, truthfully. Well, we know that that's not going to happen with any human ruler. And even David, uh, the first king, uh, that is after Saul, but the first uh, king uh, anointed by God, uh, didn't do that perfectly. Only one can do that perfectly. And uh, he has come. Uh, we read about it in our scripture reading. We sung about him. The Lord Jesus is our king. The government is on his shoulders. So he's the king that we're looking for. And uh, in uh, this year of uh, elections in America, we uh, may be uh, disappointed with the results, uncertain with uh, our candidates, but yet uh, let us not forget there is another king. And uh, he is still reigning, he is still ruling, he is here. And uh, he's always with his people. So he's always in our midst. Uh, there may be difficulties, tough times, even when men do what is right in their own eyes. We have a king, we have the righteous king. So uh, are we not uh, rejoicing? Can we not be uh, confident? Uh, not that we have to be, well, that's another story, not to be passive, but that's the gospel culture story. But uh, God is jealous, uh, God is righteous, but uh, God is sovereign in bringing this all to pass. That's uh, the third point, his strategies or his methods, his manner, and uh, bringing uh, deliverance, his righteous deliverances, uh, display his uh, wonderful sovereignty. I'd like to uh, maybe go another hour, but obviously I can't, and talking about uh, some of the main characters of uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5. Uh, we'd speak of uh, Deborah, Barak, uh, Yael, Jael, even maybe mention uh, Sisera, uh, but we'll, we're much limited. I won't say much about uh, Deborah, but to, only to indicate that... Uh, she is associated with the judges, and uh, her role was perhaps unexpected, reflecting God's sovereignty. Doesn't God often do what is unexpected, and doesn't he often use uh, that which is imperfect? How can he do that, or why does he do that? To uh, emphasize with us, to uh, encourage us, in his uh, sovereign ways, that we can be fully confident that his plan, his uh, ways, his purposes are being fulfilled and will be fulfilled perfectly, completely. He is sovereign. There is no king or ruler uh, above him. So uh, we have uh, Deborah in an unexpected role as a prophetess. 
encouraging her people, uh, not listening perhaps as much as they should have, but uh, available to speak the word, and then to guide the military leader that uh, God had anointed, even though he seemed uh, somewhat hesitant in fulfilling his role, that is, uh, Barak. And uh, fittingly, uh, this uh, woman of God, this uh, prophetess of God, she concludes the scene, chapter 5, with uh, her song of praise with Barak. But uh, verse 2 and 3, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. There is human involvement, engagement, but ultimately the Lord is uh, the source responsible for all of it. The Lord is to be praised. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princesses, to the Lord will I sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. And then uh, the rest of it, maybe you can look at that in your home group or community group, excuse me, uh, flesh out some of the details. Uh, but we have the, the prophetess of God uh, leading her people in, in praise. And uh, this is the only word of praise in the book of Judges. Uh, I wonder if uh, praise was more part of Judges' Old Testament gospel culture, if some of these terrible times of oppression might not have been avoided or overcome or been uh, much more abbreviated. But uh, here, by example, uh, she's uh, leading her people in praise. We'll say a little bit more about that uh, in a moment. But uh, let me uh, speak of uh, Barak uh, quickly. So uh, the Lord uses the unexpected, and uh, you know, a prophet usually male, but uh, here it's a female, and uh, she's a woman of praise as well. Well, what about Barak? Well, here's uh, a man that uh, did uh, great things for the Lord on this occasion. The uh, author of the book of Hebrews even uh, cites him as uh, a member of the Hall of Fame of Faith. Uh, but yet, uh, there seems in his life to be uh, some unnecessary hesitancy from time to time. So uh, going back to verses uh, 6 and 14, I'm not rereading that. We read it. But on two occasions, it's like uh, Deborah had to remind him, has not the Lord said this? So the implication there is that uh, why, why are you delaying? Why are you hesitating? And uh, even the uh, promise, I will go back to uh, verse, verse 6, uh, again, where she sent and summoned Barak, and uh, then uh, repeated what the Lord commanded him. And uh, that's in uh, verse 6. Go, gather your men on Mount Tabor. And then verse 7 says, I will draw out in the ESV, but actually that word could be translated, I will gather Sisera. So in other words, the Lord is saying, gather your men and I will gather Sisera. Or if you like, uh, draw out, draw out your men and I will draw out Sisera. So the connection is being made, Barak, you follow through with uh, my plan 
And I promise that I will fulfill my role in bringing you victory. Isn't that the way the Lord works? He gives us commands. He gives us promises. That's gospel culture. We have to obey his rules, statutes, his ordinances. But are we up, left up to ourselves? And it's even more blessed for us in uh, New Testament times and Old Testament times because of all that has been accomplished in Christ. But uh, when the Lord speaks, he expects us to follow through, but then he's empowered us to do it. So if he puts the promptings in our hearts, something like, well, and uh, Pastor Chris reminds us of this, so, well, go speak, go speak to your neighbor. Take the initiative and go speak to your neighbor. Even though, uh, for whatever reason, I might feel uncomfortable. What's the Lord going to do? Well, the Lord's somehow going to be involved, and he's going to make it a conversation that's gospel-oriented if I'm there, if I'm engaged in it. Or uh, the Lord uh, might say, uh, invest, and he is saying, if you're a Bethelite, invest in uh, community groups. Invest in community groups. And what's the Lord going to do? Well, if I'm invested in the way that he desires and the fellowship that's available, then uh, he's going to make that an enriching time of fellowship, a uh, time of fruitful ministry, and I'm going to have all the consequent blessings as a result. And our, our whole body is going to be strengthened. That's how it works. Or uh, uh, I'm, I'm prompted to think about uh, finances because Todd is going to address us uh, shortly. Invest in finances at Bethel in the Lord. Uh, even in the midst of uh, some of the uncertainties we have, some of the challenges. And uh, what's the Lord going to do? Well, I will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus as his people and uh, individually. That's his promise, not just for the missionary, uh, but to those who are engaged in uh, investing in uh, God's uh, works and his ways. So somehow it seems, I can't uh, speak any more fuller about this, uh, although I could mention other things, but that seemed to be uh, what Barak was wrestling with. The Lord had uh, let him know what he was supposed to do, and he seemed to need some extra encouragement. Uh, he needed uh, somehow the physical presence of Deborah. That sounds good, but really for us, when the Lord speaks... Do we need anything else? We don't need to be like uh, the next chapter, like Gideon. Give me a sign, Lord. We don't need a sign. His word is enough, and we obey it because he is a jealous God. He is righteous. He is faithful. He is abounding in faithful, uh, loyal love, and he doesn't change his mind like we do. He's a perfect ruler. And then uh, the last character, uh, quickly, is uh, Jael. Again, uh, Hebrew, I'm, I'm going to read it in Hebrew. Uh, Yael is her name. Again, uh, the Lord displaying his sovereignty uh, using these people. Uh, might be imperfect, like Barak, uh, even though he's uh, not completely uh, perfect in uh, 
instantaneous in his obedience. He did follow through. The Lord used him. And then we have uh, this woman, this outsider, this Canaanite, Kenite, uh, not even an Israelite. Somehow the family that moved up north, they should have been moving, living down south with those other people. But she's positioned in a perfect place, and she's ready to take action. Uh, now the action uh, we had, remember uh, what our message was last week, the gospel culture orientation was hospitality. Uh, now we're not saying to... Uh, give hospitality like J.L. did here. Uh, the times are different. In fact, there isn't any, if you read closely here, there isn't, there isn't even any affirmation of her actions. She's affirmed in other ways, but uh, her own methods, her own ethics might be called into question. And uh, Judaism, uh, early Judaism did that. I won't have time to go into that. But uh, here's someone, an outsider, uh, a woman uh, living maybe in tents as a Bedouin, not even among the Israelites. Her husband's trying to make peace with uh, everyone around him. And uh, she doesn't seem like she's going to have any part of what the Lord needs to do in removing this uh, mercenary, uh, powerful, uh, rich, and brutal general of uh, the Canaanite army. But she takes action. And uh, interestingly, in the whole chapter, what is emphasized? More so than anything else, we don't know anything about the battle. Uh, Barak charging down from Mount Tabar into uh, the valley to defeat the, the tanks, the chariots. If you read chapter 5, you know that the Lord probably sent a rainstorm and slowed down the chariots. So uh, they got bogged down and uh, made ineffective uh, those uh, iron chariots. If that's what happened, it'd be fitting of God's sovereignty. Uh, he's in control of natural forces as well as human forces. And if that's what happened, then uh, and, and the river Kishon was also a marshy area. You can see that today. Uh, so the Lord orchestrated that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is sovereign. He's uh, the victor. And then he used uh, here uh, Jael to finish off uh, to uh, make sure that the guilty uh, would uh, not be acquitted but uh, receive their, their just due. So uh, in looking at uh, her, uh, again, uh, her ethics might be questioned, but uh, in comparing with uh, some of those that are praised and rebuked in chapter 5 and uh, verse 18, speaks of Zebulun. They're people who risked their lives to the death. Did she do that? Well, she certainly did. She risked. We don't know why. We don't even, we don't, we're not even told what her inner thoughts were, but she definitely risked her life to get rid of this guy. And uh, in contrast, verse 23, this city of Meroz was cursed because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Well, again, uh, Jael was the opposite of that. She risked her life. She was ready to jump in and uh, be a part of what the Lord was doing. How she was able to see that, we don't know. We're not told. Again, what we do know is that God is sovereign. Somehow, she he used this solitary woman, out, non-Israelite, outsider, to fulfill his work and his will. Can he do that at any time? 
Can the Lord do that at any time, in any situation? Even in the midst of Bethel, in the midst of America? He is sovereign. He uh, does that at all times. And uh, our conclusion, uh, just uh, very briefly, uh, we've already activated it or actualized it uh, in our singing as we began the service, is uh, the importance of praise. That uh, praise is a vital evidence of uh, Old Testament gospel culture, but uh, gospel culture of any uh, people of God. Uh, praise directs our thoughts just uh, emotionally, psychologically away from ourselves. And uh, whatever negative thoughts we have and when we do that and uh, lifts them up to our God to think of his character, his righteousness, his righteous ways, his righteous king, uh, his uh, sovereign ways. Now, using whatever way, whatever people, whatever situation he wants to bring uh, glory to his name. Uh, if we talked more about praise, we'd probably have to go to the book of Psalms, but that's another message. Uh, this week, uh, actually it was last week, uh, the church lost a, a great man at, uh, or associated with uh, Columbia International University, uh, Robertson McQuicken. I'm not ashamed to date myself, but uh, my first spiritual life class was with this man in 1975. And uh, everyone, when I, when I got to the class, was at Columbia, when I got to the class, and I didn't know anything about seminaries in those days, or even going to school and studying only the Bible. But again, the Lord uh, works things out. But uh, everyone told me about uh, Mr. McQuilkin as uh, he was uh, referred to respectfully. Uh, when he would talk about union with Christ, uh, they would actually get emotional about it and uh, speak about uh, how uh, deserving of death uh, our Savior took that upon himself. And uh, that was some of my first teaching of what it meant uh, to be in Christ. And indeed, that's our foundation for uh, gospel culture. And uh, I remember talking with him about a personal problem one time, and he encouraged me to read the Psalms. He said, uh, if you're depressed, read the Psalms. If you're reading the Psalms and you're really engaged, uh, you can't stay depressed, because you're not going to stay thinking about yourself or your problem, because every psalm uh, directs the focus back to him and who he is and what he has done. So uh, that's uh, part of the encouragement as well from uh, Deborah and even Barak, uh, Judges uh, chapter 5. So uh, I, I'm out of time, I think. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Todd. I wanted to read uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to uh, 31 with you, but maybe I'll close with that uh, as we do the benediction. But uh, praise, in conclusion, uh, again, is building our confidence, our trust in the Lord. And uh, I think that's what uh, Todd as well wants to address us about now as we face uh, some of our challenges knowing that uh, God is here, he's working in our midst, and uh, he's going to do it 
in a, in a righteous way to bring glory to his name.